Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 592 for May 4th, 2019. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz with Programming by Stealth, installment 77 of X. How are you doing today, Bart? I am doing just fine. It's a holiday weekend and the sun is out. I'm ignoring the north wind that's absolutely effing freezing, but the sun is out. (laughs) Sun is out. <laughs> nice. You'll take it. You'll take it, right? Yep. Well, this week's show, um, I think, is going to be somewhat colored by a conversation Bart and I had offline. Um, one of the things I feel often in this uh in doing this podcast is that I'm the dumbest student in the class because everybody writes to me is writing to me to help me. So everybody already knows more than me. I mean, I've got Jill and Dorothy and, and, and Helma and Marianne and all these people and, 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 uh, and Caleb, everybody's helping me. And I'm thinking, so I'm the only moron in the class because everybody else already gets this stuff. And it makes me not want to confess when I don't get something because I don't want to look like the dumbest kid in class. But I confess to Bart just kind of sadly that I didn't really understand what callbacks were. And just remember, there's quite a strong selection effect going on here in the people you're talking to. (laughs) You think? Yeah. Yeah, I I would like some kids in the class to write to me and say, yeah, I I get stuck a lot, too. I just don't tell you. You don't even have to tell me what you're stuck on. Just somebody confess that you get stuck sometimes, too. (laughs) But no, people who are offering to help are obviously people who think they can help. And they do. I mean, there's no yeah. doubt. I mean, I, I don't want them to stop because that's one of the reasons I've uh, survived and hung in there. Um, but I think I think during the week I did get the hang of callbacks, but I'm really looking forward to it. I know you're going to do a little more deeper dive on that. But I do want to say up front that not only did I get the homework done, I got the extra credit done two different ways. Indeed, you you're actually quite ahead of the class because you can you can put your head down on the pillows for the second half of this installment and the first half of the next installment if you like. Although oh, I won't wow. make for good radio, but <laughs> no. Uh, Bart says I cheated because I didn't go through callback hell. I figured, well, if I already know there's a way to not go through callback hell, I'm going to go find it, and so I did it that way. And uh, I think the analogy I gave you is I think I didn't ever uh, do the Kobayashi Maru. Yeah, you sidestepped the thing that was supposed to be horrible. But. I didn't actually face death. So I went back after I succeeded without it, and I went back through the hell just to do it. Good, good, because then it'll make more sense why we need to learn about promises. I'm going to yeah. be very curious how you get on with promises, actually, because on the one hand, it's an abstraction, and abstractions are always potentially troublesome because right. of abstract. But on the other hand, it's a very nice abstraction that's well thought out. And so I, I never know how they're going to go. Um, I get stuck when we go in circles. But there should be less of that because a promise is, yeah, actually, I think it should help with that. Okay, good. They make for nicer code. Nicer code is good, particularly six months from now when you come to debug something you've written. Nicer code is always good. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So the structure of this episode is a bit unusual because I'm going to start by revisiting callbacks and then I'm going to do the sample homework because actually I've written, the the challenge was written in such a way that it would be the MacGuffin for taking us into callback hell. So I can't do that first and then sidestep to talk about callbacks and then somehow come back. So we're going to put the homework on pause for a moment and start by revisiting the concept of callbacks. Yeah, so you already explained callbacks to us, I think, several times, I felt like, and that's why I was nervous confessing. 
Right, because it's it's a big word, but it doesn't, which is why I think people assume it means something a lot, and it actually has very little meaning. Um, okay. And the thing is, we've been using them without necessarily thinking about it, which is fine. Okay. But mm-hmm. now I'm just going to draw your attention to all the different ways you've been using callbacks successfully for months now. Doing it all the time without thinking about it. So now we're okay. going to think about it for a bit. So you will find in the zip file for this installment a file called pbs77a.html. Okay. Uh, Got that, it. That file, you're going to have to run it either through an editor that will allow Ajax calls from file colon slash slash URLs like Code Runner, or from your MAMP install. So the URL can make Ajax requests. Okay. Um, there is, I copied and pasted, and I literally do mean copied and pasted, the show toast function from PBS installment 73. So this HTML file can pop up toasts for talking to us. Um, and the idea is that every th- all the sample snippets here exist in that file. And I'm going to ask you to use the JavaScript console to interact with them. Oh, okay. So I would like you to consider meditate on the following very straightforward function function say something open parens something close parens open squarely bracket show toast saying dot 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 comma something end squarely end function etc so this is a very very silly little function it calls our show toast function with a title of saying dot 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 and a message of whatever was passed as the first argument so it literally says something Okay. You can see it say something by pasting into your console, say something, open parens, start quote, boogers, close quote, close parens. Okay, putting in my console. Can't find variable JavaScript. Oh, I I know what's wrong. Oh, it's not in the right mode? It's... Yeah, yeah, I didn't copy in the right thing. Hang on, I got to make it not have that one in the beginning of it. It had some other stuff. Sorry. Mm. Okay, try that again. Maybe this is why I'm never successful. Saying boogers. Nice little toast. Okay. Right. So what can we say about this very primitive little function? Well, the first thing I can say is it's a function. It's a function Mm -hmm. that expects one argument. And we can tell by reading the function that it's going to pop up a toast-style notification. So let's park say something. Trivial little function. we just put it aside for now. And let's look at a mildly less trivial, but not much less trivial function. It's called function do something random. Open parens, sum fn, in other words, short for some function. Close parens, open squarely bracket, and then we have a comment telling us we're about to generate a random number. We do that by saying const random becomes equal to math.seal, which takes as its argument math.random times 100. So math.random gives us a number between 0 and 1, multiply it by 100, then becomes a number between 0 and 100, and then math.seal will round it to the highest integer. In other words, we are going to get a random number between 1 and 100 inclusive. Okay. If we wanted 0 to 99, we could have used math.floor. I decided yeah. I didn't want 0 today. So math.seal <laughs> was. Okay. Then I take the first argument that was passed to do something random, which I named sumfn. And I named it that as a hint to myself that I'm going to treat this argument as if it were a function. 
So I say sum of n, open parens, rand num, close parens, semicolon. So, sum fn is a function, and I have put parens after it. So in other words, what am I doing? I am expelliarmusing the function. I am making it go. Right. So, and the thing that's making it go is that random number you just calculated. Well, the thing that's making it go is the parens, and I'm giving it one argument while I'm at it. Oh, right. 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 Sorry. Yes. So that is a very crucial point, that when you give a function's name without parens, you're just saying it's that thing over there. You're naming it. You're, you're, you know, you're, it's a variable, effectively. But as soon as you put the parens after it, you're telling JavaScript, run this, make it go. So this little function is going to make some other function go. And we don't actually know hmm. what it is. We just know that whatever you give this function, it will be run with random number as the only argument. Um, but that doesn't have to be a function. That could have been seven. Well, if you try that, you get an error. Because seven with, parameter, with params after it. So um, we are treating but, the first argument as a function. If someone passes at something else, it will break. Why? We haven't defined that function. Right. We're saying all we've done is named the first argument. What, what we have done here is said that whatever the first argument was, we're going to treat it as a function and execute it. If you pass me something that's not a function, well, have a crash. Maybe I'm getting tangled. I'm already lost in which function you're talking about. Are you talking about do something random or some fun? Some fun, right? We're gonna... So some fun, just all the only thing we know about some fun is it's the argument for do the function do something random. Mm-hmm. That's all we know. We don't yeah. know that some fun isn't spit this number out and the random number and the number we gave it was seven. Right. So some fun is up to the person using our function to decide, not up to the person writing the function to decide. Some fun doesn't exist until someone expelliarmus is this function. But, okay, let's say I decide that some fun is 7 plus whatever that argument was. If you pass me a number as the first argument, then the code will, on line 6, throw an exception. You have and to pass I me a function. Absolutely don't see why. Why does it have to be passed a function? Just because you put fun in the title? No, because otherwise it will crash in line six. And because if this were for real, my documentation would say the first argument must be a function. Okay, you're saying it will crash on line six because it will crash on line six. I'm asking why will it crash on line six? Okay, because I am saying take the first argument, open parens, run it. If you've given me something that's not runnable and I try to run it, JavaScript will throw an error. I tell you what, try it. You have the console open, type do something random, open parens, 42, close parens, and hit enter. I'm not saying I don't believe you. No, no, but let's see it in action. <laughs> okay. Okay. Probably 42. says 42 is not a function or something sensible like that. Something is not a function. Right, okay, yes, of course it would call it something, because you passed it 42. So now pass it window.alert. Okay, I'm not no, going to get... Bear with me for 10 seconds and then we'll talk again. Okay, it wrote 19. Right. So you passed it a uh, function a, and it ran the function. 
with the argument of whatever random number it got. I believe you. I know I'm at the really early starting, but if this is going to be important building block to the next thing, no, no, this I isn't don't... the next thing. This is the entire thing. This is this is this is callbacks. This is the critical point. A function okay. is just a so, variable. I can write I, a function that will execute any function you give me. So, are you saying? That on line one, where it says function, mm-hmm. do something random, parentheses, some fun, mm-hmm. that statement tells us that some fun has to be a function? No, it doesn't. It doesn't tell us that. What makes that true is that if that isn't true on line six, it will crash. And in the real right. world, what would make that true would be the documentation would say the first argument must be a function. Okay. Just like, but you can't see, you keep saying because line six will crash. That that doesn't get me anywhere closer to understanding this. What line in this? There are only six lines, and mm-hmm. and one has a squirrely bracket on it, and two of them. <laughs> actually, there are three real lines on this. Yes. What line tells you that the argument to do something random must be a function? Line six. So line six just says some fun parentheses random. Is it right. because it's calling randnum? It's no, no, it's not calling randnum. It's calling some fun. Random is the argument. Okay, if I if I commented out the const randnum equals math.ceiling, blah 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 random number. If I commented out line three, could I put a seven in for randnum? Yes. Thank you. So it's line three that's doing it because line three is a function. Line no. six is calling a function. No, no. Line six is calling a function because the first argument is a function. Some fun is being called. But how do you know that the argument of some fun has to be a function? And because don't say I'm line six will crash if it is. At the point I put the parens after the n, it either is a function or it will crash. So I have basically said I am treating this as a function. So you're saying. There is no function called some fun that can have as its first argument a number. There is not no some fun is a placeholder for whatever is passed as the first argument. So when you say do something random window.alert some fun is window.alert. Okay, what if line 3 said let uh X equal seven. Okay. And line six said some fun parentheses X. Then whatever function is passed as the first argument to do something random will receive seven as its first argument. Well, I took the random number thing out of the by right. changing. Therefore, line X three. is now X is now seven. You've just said that X equals seven. Yeah. So there's nothing random. So it's just X equals seven. So I have some fun parentheses X. Yes. So what happens will depend on when you say do something random, open parens, you have to pass no, something. No, 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 I'm not doing some. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry, go ahead. When say you're again. making the function go, when you're making do something random actually happen, mm-hmm. you write do something random, open parens, and then you give it a value as the first argument. Mm-hmm. Whatever you give it will become known as some fun. Right. And I am then on line six saying, take whatever they gave me and try to run it as a function with the argument X. 
Okay. That makes sense to me. Good, because that's that's the penny that that is it. That is that is it. That is the totality of it. You can you can <laughs> hand a function as an argument and then run it. So what what does this function do? It names the first argument some fun some fun, generates a random number, it calls whatever the first argument was and passes it rand number. So we can, if you copy and paste into your console, we can say do something random, say something, and then you'll see the random number as a toast. Right. We did that at the beginning, right. No, we didn't. We just said say something boogers. Now we're saying do something random, say something. Okay. Okay, oh, I see. Uh, where did say something come from? We just declared it. That's the first function I asked you to keep in your mind. Oh, that's already in the code up above. Okay, that's in the same file. I didn't know it was in the same file already. Okay. Got you. Okay. So now I get a I get a little toast and it said something. And then if you do exact the same thing, but say do something random window.alert, it's now going to call window.alert instead of say something. Okay. Right? So do something random is executing a different function each time, depending on what you pass it as an argument. Well, they're they're both running that random function, though. Sure, because that's inside do something random, but then they're executing whatever you gave it as the first argument. Oh, I see what you're saying. I, okay, I've, I think I've... Uh, so some fun in this case is either say something or window.alert. Bingo. Okay. So the thing we do is determined by what we passed it as the argument. Right. So what does that mean? What that means is uh, some fun is a callback. So why is it called a callback? Because it's a function passed as an argument to another function. So when we were chatting, you said something that made sense to me, and you aren't saying it now, so maybe I grabbed it and cemented it and shouldn't have. Not is you said it you said that a callback is uh, is like saying, "I will call you back. I'm going to go do this, and then I'm going to call you back." That is a use for callbacks, an extremely common use for callbacks. But it's not the definition of a callback. It's not the definition of a callback because in this case, well, assuming that you consider now instantaneously to be within that definition, then it fits because you told me to say something and I immediately said something. Right? Do something immediately says something. So if you consider immediate to fall within your definition, then your definition holds. There doesn't have to be a time delay. Okay. There can be a time delay, but there doesn't have to be a time delay. Okay, but it isn't a very good definition because that's not what it, that's, okay. So how do I know it's a callback? It's because a function is calling another function? No, if it's a function that receives as an argument another function. So do something random is a function. Say something Mm -hmm. is a function. Window.alert is a function. So when do something random gets as an argument, say something, or window.alert, then it's a function receiving a function as an argument. 
function receiving a function as an argument. Yeah. Is that in here somewhere highlighted, maybe? Uh, when you pass a function as an argument to another function, the function that is being passed is referred... Oh, wait, wait, wait. That's it. It's the function that's being passed that's referred to as the callback. Yes. Oh, I still didn't understand when you said it. Okay, this is... This is why I wrote okay. this very carefully. So it's it's not... It's not the function that's getting passed a function as an argument. It's the function that's getting passed as the argument that is the callback. Yes. Yes. So say something is the callback in the first example and window.alert is the callback in the second example. Okay. <laughs> the chances of me remembering this drop to it's got to be put into a file that I will bring up every time you say the word callback, I'll bring it up and read it again. Cause I got that wrong like seven times as we went through. All right. When you pass an argument, a function as an argument to another function, the function that's being passed is the callback. So when yes. that alert is our callback or uh, say something is our callback. Yes. And what you can say then, if you want to mirror it, you can say that do something expects a callback as its first argument. Okay, but functions on their own don't expect callbacks. Yeah. yeah Do exactly. they? A function isn't a callback unless it's being passed. So and, say something... And a function, does, there aren't, is there a category of functions that expect callbacks? Yes, because just like the function math.seal expects to be handed a number or it will throw an error... The function mm -hmm. to upper the the function um, window alert expects to be handed a string or it will get cranky, mm -hmm. right? So it's so there are functions that expect that expect callbacks exactly, and there might be a function that expects an array or it will get cranky, right? It's a data validation okay. thing, not an inherent reality. Okay. Right, Just okay. like when you write okay. a function that expects an integer, it's up to you to make sure you got an integer. If you write a function that expects a function you should do some error checking, which, of course, my naive example doesn't do because otherwise the thing I'm trying <laughs> to highlight right. would get lost in the error checking. Yes, so. thank you. Thank you. Because sometimes you do it all proper and it, by the time it's done, I can't see the, the, the core. So, yes, good. We progress to doing proper later on when we get to the homework, but not here where we're trying to be explanatory. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yes. Okay. So, up until this point, I have kept things easy to read because the callbacks have been functions that have names. So we made a function named say something, and then we used it as a callback. And mm -hmm. we took the pre-existing function that exists as part of JavaScript, window.alert, and we used it as a callback. But in the okay. real world, 99% of the time, when you want to use a callback, it's a one-off. It's something you want to do once. So you don't want to... Oh. Declare a function you're going to use once and then pass it as a named argument. What you actually want to do is just create an anonymous function and shove it straight in there hmm. as the callback. So I have an example for you to consider. So do something random, open parens. Now, instead of just putting the name of a function, I have instead declared an anonymous function. So function, open parens, RN, close parens, open squarely. So RN is going to be our callback. No, the, the entire anonymous function is our callback, right? So do something random is taking one argument. That argument is function RN, open squarely, blah, 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 close squarely. 
So everything okay. from the S in function to the closing squarely on line three is the callback. It has no name. It's an anonymous function. Okay. This anonymous function names its first argument or n. Oh, okay. Okay, so the anonymous function is the callback. It happens to have an argument. If you make rn a function, I'm going nope. no, to no, no, get no, we're not going on a plane and come over and hurt you. Right. <laughs> that is legal to do. A callback nope. within a callback. But that is not how I would choose to explain something to help illuminate something. <laughs> I will hurt you. That's like taking two mirrors and pointing them at each other at exactly parallel and going, count them. <laughs> I used to love doing those. Two. Games, we had a mirror with a hole in it, and you could look through, and you could put it anyway. It's fun. Um, so <laughs> okay, so we've got do something random. Uh, it's being passed an anonymous function, which will be our callback. Yes, by definition. exactly. By okay. definition, and that callback contains a one-liner that says say something, and then the template string or n minus one, comma or n, comma or n plus one. So this anonymous function doesn't just print whatever it's given it prints one number less than the number and one number more than so do something random takes whatever it was given as its callback and then calls whatever that was with a number as the argument so in this case you're going to see three numbers printed and it's always going to be one less than whatever the random number was that do something random generated then the random number itself, and then one greater than. So if you copy and paste that into your terminal, you're going to see... I don't know what you're going to see, because it's literally random. Um, but you'll see three numbers, I promise you that. Um, okay, I don't know where rn got defined. Uh, on line one. No, but rn... How did rn become a random number between one and a hundred? At the point when do something runs. Do something will take whatever you pass it as its first argument and run it with the random number it made as its first argument. So the anonymous function is the first argument to do something. So do something will run that anonymous function with the random number as the argument. That's what do something does. Right? Lines, our famous line six. Something is now that anonymous function. Hmm. I should be able to do this, but it's not. Let's. We've got to walk through it line by line. Well, yeah. So, so working. We're, we're right now looking at a little bit of code that doesn't have any other code around it. So I'm bringing the first code up, the incredibly complex seven line code, and putting it next to this one line code. But it's, it's all together. So we have TBS seventy seven A that HT. Well, yeah, okay. But I'm sorry. Just trying to follow in the show notes the way we're going. So we've got do something random which has a function as its callback, or as its past argument, so it's got, that's a callback. Mm -hmm. It says function parentheses rn, so it's an anonymous function with its uh, only argument is rn. Yes. So I don't know where rn comes from. We created it at that exact nothing... instant. We are creating rn at that exact instant. We are saying we I shall believe call... You. I believe you, but it must get a number, it must get a value in it somewhere, and I don't know where that value comes okay. from. So... Yes. So what does do something random, right? We're saying do something random, open paren. So do something random is going to execute with, as its first argument, this new anonymous function we've just created. So what does do something, what is the code for do something random? Well, it's looking for some fun. 
Okay, so right now, in this case, is our random. Let let me. me, I'm I'm getting it. Let me. Let me talk. So do something random. Parenthesis sumfun. In this case, we've passed it an anonymous function for sumfun, and sumfun will take. I don't, so somehow the random number is getting into Rn, and I don't right. Know, line, okay, so I don't know how it gets into there. Make a random number, mm-hmm. and then on line, but six, it's called randnum. It's not called Rn. It's called randnum. Right. Mm-hmm. So then we call our anonymous function and we pass it randnum as the argument. Oh, uh, okay. Okay. So simfun parenthesis randnum is the same as function parenthesis Rn. Yes, it is. Okay. Wow. I couldn't do that on my own, just to let you know. Right. I couldn't reproduce this with a gun to my head. But you have <laughs> But been. I see it now. But you have been over and over again. Every time you've done a document ready so handler, you you've think. done this. Uh, really? Every time you've done a click handler, you've done this. Huh. Okay. Anyway, let's... Huh. Okay. Uh, okay. Is... That actually makes some sense, the click handler. Yeah. So this is... There is no more new information to tell you, but I am going to continue with examples for a little bit longer. Okay. So you, this is this is all of the information that needs to be imparted, but I want to try to do some more cement. Good. So callbacks are a kind of a generic concept. And obviously the two examples I've done here are extremely contrived, right? Do something and mm-hmm. say something. And I mean, it's all very contrived for the point of being simplistic. So let's make this a bit more real world. So there's two really common ways that anonymous functions are used. I'm going to end on events because that's I, I want to end on something you're going to like. <laughs> but I do briefly want to spend some time with the other really important use because it's actually a really important use. And we have done it once or twice in the series so far without without stressing it. So one of the ways, one of the most important uses for callbacks is to make a piece of code more generic. And I'm going to take you on a week, I'm going to tell you a story. And hopefully, as we go through the story, the, the why will become obvious. Okay. So consider that we have an array of people objects, which I have cleverly called people objects. Mm-hmm. Every item in this array is an object that contains a first name, a surname, a display name, an email, a URL, and a Twitter. And for simplicity's sake, there's three whole people in this array, but hypothetically it could contain a million people, right? There's me, there's you, and there's some chap called William Butler, who goes by Bill, which Mm -hmm. becomes important later. So imagine that we're doing some sort of web app and we need to sort the people by surname and we need to have it done in a case-insensitive sort, just in case there's some capitalization funniness. So because it's an array of objects, we can't just sort of say array.sort and call it a day. So we go, okay, we can't be the first person on planet Earth to need to sort an array. That Someone must have thought of this. <laughs> so we go to the Googles and we discover that there's a really common algorithm called quicksort. Hmm. Okay. And we read the quicksort page on Wikipedia. We grumble about how complicated they make it sound, and <laughs> which they do. And we write a bunch of JavaScript. And in that JavaScript, um, we 
implement quicksort and we get our working function. And then a few days later, the boss knocks on your cubicle wall because you don't have a door. And the boss says, that's great. And on you know the homepage, we want them sorted by surname alphabetically. Perfect. Thanks very much. But actually, on the contact me page, on the my friends page, I actually want it by display name because actually it's more appropriate for William to be Bill on a friend's page and he should be sorted, you know, after Alison, but before, no, actually he should be sorted after Bart as well. But we should mm-hmm. be sorting based on display name in your friend's page because your friends go by their short name, not their big, long, ugly name. So write me another function that sorts by display name. And you grumble, and you go copy, and you go paste, because it turns out 90% of the code in your first function was just the quicksort algorithm. There was only like one or two lines of code that made any mention of surname. And so you mm-hmm. change the one or two lines of code to display name. And you kind of go, this is a little bit smelly, but yeah, boss will be happy. <laughs> right. Next day, the boss knocks on your cubicle wall again. And the boss says, yeah, great. Okay, so now we're going to do a links page. And I want you to sort everyone by the URL, uh, but I want you to ignore the www part because that may or may not be present. So we don't want all of those sorting to the bottom. So I want you to find the domain part of the URL and then sort on that. And now if you go and copy and paste again, at this stage you realize you don't just have a little bit of a whiff. It's full on weak old fish. <laughs> right? You now have three copies of the same quicksort algorithm. And then you find there's a bug in your quicksort and you're going in and fixing it in three places. And then you realize that next week he's going to want it sorted by email address. <laughs> and you're thinking to yourself, this code is almost the same. The only thing that's different is the act of comparing. The actual sorting algorithm is the same. What if I could somehow write one sorting function that takes as an argument a different piece of code to only do the comparing. Oh, wait. Hmm. I want to write a callback. I want to pass my sort function two arguments. The array to sort and how to compare two elements to each other. And the second argument is a function. I.e. the second argument is a callback. It turns out that the people who wrote JavaScript had very similar experiences. (laughs) Same boss. (laughs) Same boss, yeah. Same cubicle. Um, If you read the documentation for JavaScript's built-in array.sort function, you will find that it actually accepts a callback as its only argument. So array.sort is called on an array. So you say my array.sort. Okay. And normally, up until now, we've just said my array.sort and we haven't passed sort any arguments. And by default, sort sorts things as strings. So whatever's in the array, it converts it to a string and then it sorts the string alphabetically. Now, we don't want it to do that. We want to implement all of this cool logic about sorting by surname, case insensitive, or by display name, case insensitive, or by URL with the WW stripped out. Mm-hmm. We can do that using the callback as the sec as the as the argument to the sort function. So let's try do that. Let's try solve the first problem. Okay. Now, one I'm not stuck by the way. Good, because it's a story. <laughs> Stories are fun. I, I do have to say I'm my brain keeps looking over at Quicksort and Wikipedia because there's a really cool animation showing how it works. 
it's a mind bender of a function. If you want your mind bent, try understand quicksort. I ca- I've implemented quicksort and I got full marks for it. I said I understand quicksort. <laughs> it works. It's a cool animation though. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna do uh, dot sort and we're gonna pass it a callback. Yes. Now there's a small subtlety here. If you read the documentation for dot sort. It's one of those annoying functions. It sorts the array in place. So if I hand, if I take an array and I call dot sort, it doesn't return a copy of the array. It actually messes up my array. Oh. So I'm going to clone my array before I hand that to dot sort. And the easiest way to clone an array is with array dot from. So that's why oh. my sample code starts with array dot from people objects. I like that, the way that's written. That's like, yeah, get it away from this other one, but we're not going to mess with the original. Yes. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So that's all that's going on there. I just wanted to explain that. And then yeah. we call sort with one argument, which is a long anonymous function of six whole lines. Do you believe mm-hmm. me? <laughs> I see it. So yes. Okay. Now, when you read the manual for dot sort, it describes to you what your callback needs to do. And what it tells you is that your callback should expect to be passed two arguments, which you can call anything you like, but the documentation recommends A and B. And it tells you that if you want A to be sorted to the left of B, you should return a negative number. If you want A to be sorted to the right of B, you should return a positive number. And if you don't care, return zero. In other Hmm. words, if they're effectively equal, return zero. So that's what we have to do for our object. So how, okay, so our mission here is to sort by surname, case insensitively. Uh, So what I've decided to do is inside my anonymous function to create a new variable called SNA for surname A. And I'm going to make it equal to, I'm going to say if basically A exists and A.surname exists, question mark, as our ternary operator. I'm saying if A and A.surname both exist, force them to be strings and then dot to lowercase. So if a and a dot surname exist, why would they not exist? Because in theory, someone could call this. Someone could have put something in the people object where they forgot the surname. So maybe it has a, maybe it has a display name. Maybe you only know there's a guy down the corridor. Everyone calls him Joe, but I don't know his surname. <laughs> okay. Right. okay. In which case, so if we've got a and a dot surname, then, then make it into a string. And we a dot t- surname. Sorry? Okay, sorry. With the call lag, I wasn't sure if you wanted to keep going or if you wanted no, me to no. take over again. I waited for you. Okay. Okay. So then we two lowercase it. So therefore, okay. from now on, it doesn't matter what case it used to be in. It's now guaranteed to be in lowercase. And exist. And exist, because then we have the question mark colon. So in other words, if a if it wasn't there, what do we use instead? Well, we'll use the empty string, I guess. How else could we possibly treat someone whose name we don't know? Okay. Then we do exactly the same thing for surname B, because maybe mm-hmm. at some future point in our quicksort animation, we need, you know, Joe, whose name we don't know, ends up as the second person to be checked, not the first. So we now have our two variables that are guaranteed to be lowercase strings, maybe empty. Then we say, if they're actually the same as each other, return zero, because I don't actually care if you sort Bob ahead of Bob, because right. it's Bob. Mm-hmm. And then you say, return, surname A is less than surname B, question mark, minus one, colon one. It's our friend, the ternary operator. In other words, if A is less than B, negative number. Otherwise, positive number. 
So you don't have to believe me that this does what I say it does. If you copy and paste those six lines into your console, it will show you the array, and then you can expand with the little triangles to see what's in each element of the array, and you will see that they are sorted alphabetically by surname. Hmm. Okay, let's see. i got to do a little tick mark and scroll down. All right, we've got Bart, William, then Allison. Yeah. Wait. Oh, by surname. Surname. Bouchot's Butler Sheridan. There we go. Okay. Yeah. I was like, oh, Bart, that's not alphabetical order. Yeah, it wouldn't be on sure. first name. <laughs> okay, so we've used a callback here to tell sort mm-hmm. how to do the comparison. Sort, we haven't had to go learn quicksort, right? The good people who wrote JavaScript, they learned quicksort once. And they didn't have to think of every possible kind of sort. They just went, someone hand me a function and I'll use it to do the sorting. But I'll take care of the quicksort bit, you take care of the comparing bit. So now we Hmm. come to the the task from day two, display name. Well, the code is awfully similar, really, isn't it? But instead of saying a.surname, we say a.displayName. And if we copy and paste that, we'll see that Bill now gets properly sorted early because he's not a William anymore, he's become a Bill. I get to do it. I'm going to paste it in. And toggle the thing. All right. So Allison, Bart, Bill. Yeah. It's actually the same order. It is the same order. I picked my example poorly <laughs> in hindsight. Maybe I should have done four people. It would have been easier with four people. Sure, Bouchette's but Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, no. Display no, name. No, no. Display name. Oh, sorry. Display name. Yeah. Allison, Bart, Bill. Okay. And then on our third day, we had a bit slightly more to do. So we got 12 lines of code on our third day because we got to strip that WW out and we got to do all sorts of fun stuff. But nonetheless, we can do it. Um, and as a little bit of practice in regular expressions. Why not? Mm-hmm. So this time... I smelled we got that a, one coming. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to have to convert both A and B to domain, to, to, to the right bit of the URL. So... I've decided to make an anonymous, or not, no, I've decided to make a little local function inside our callback called URL2Domain. Mm-hmm. So it's going to say, inside that little function, we say const URL match becomes equal to string of whatever I was passed as the first argument to lowercase and then match. So match is the function for applying a regular expression to a string. So the regular expression is starts with HTTP, followed by an optional S that I forgot to make optional, typo, bold bark. Making a note. I got the note for you. Thank you. Followed by a colon. Thankfully, every, I would put secure URLs in for everyone, so that worked. Uh, <laughs> followed by a colon, followed by two slashes, followed by anything that's not a slash and, and, and one or more of them. So, Do you have a text expander snippet for this one? Uh, well, I write them off the top of my head because I speak regular expression fluently. <laughs> to the point, no, it's 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 an in-joke in work. Everyone on my floor and the floor below who ever needs to write an expression, a regular expression, goes, Bart, I need a regular expression that does blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I can generally speaking turn their English into a regular expression in without writing it down. And then they go, wait, 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 wait. And then I write it down. <laughs> <laughs> You start spitting it out at them in English. Nice. Yes. Anyway. Okay. What this will do is it will catch everything after the HTTP colon slash slash and up to but not including the first slash that comes later. In other words, okay. it captures the domain. So for HTTP colon slash slash com forward slash anything, it will capture com. 
or www.podfeed.com. Basically, everything that comes between the two slashes and then the next slash. So we now have the domain. So then we call replace, which is another regular expression function. And we want to replace www followed by a period with the empty string. And then we return it. In other words, our little function strips the domain part out. If there is a www, it throws it in the bin. So now we can just carry on like before. Const da becomes equal to url to domain a.url. Const db becomes equal to url to domain b.url. If the domains are equal, return zero. If one is less than the other, return minus one plus one. Exactly like before. So if you copy and paste that whole big mess, you will see it sorted by domain name ignoring www. Okay, but it kept the HTTPS. Okay. I thought right, you were we only threw it away while comparing, it. right? Okay. We, we, we didn't... Oh, okay. Yeah? Okay. So for our comparison, we ignored these things, but we didn't change the raw object. We never wrote it back into the object. We just took it out of the object, manipulated the heck out of it to get what we wanted, did the comparison, and then carried on with life. So we haven't broken anything. We've just sorted it. Yeah. So now Bart B is ahead of Podfeet. Yeah. But Podfeet has a www in it for fun. Doesn't matter. Yeah, and that didn't push it ahead of Bill's website because it's not sorted on W, it's sorted on P. Wow. Okay. Right. So, so the now, key... this looks like you wrote the code three times. But did I? I didn't implement quicksort once. If I had implemented quicksort, there would be quite a few more lines of code here. Right? All um, I did was I, worry I don't about... know, because I don't know what quicksort looks like. This oh. looks like what I thought you did when you did the did it three times in our imaginary annoying boss scenario. No, I didn't actually implement quicksort because I only have so much time in the day. But there will be 50 lines of code in each of these functions if I did it that way. So it, you don't need to describe those to me, but but what what would be different? I, th I mean, I know you used the JavaScript sort function. You're saying use that instead of quicksort? Yes. So in other oh, words, okay. 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 I thought the dot sort was the quicksort function. Well, I, I, okay. it probably is under the hood. But yeah. in my hypothetical example, I had to write the sorting algorithm. What I'm saying is JavaScript has written the sorting for me. But JavaScript wrote the sorting algorithm once. And I have sorted using their sorting algorithm in three completely different ways. They didn't write three sorting sorting functions. They wrote one sorting function, and I have sorted in three different ways. That's the power of the callback, because the callback makes it possible to reuse one sort function in three completely different ways without reinventing the wheel. I don't need three sort functions. I call the same sort function with three different comparisons. Hmm. So the code has become more generic because of callbacks. Okay. S similarly, JavaScript provides two other functions for arrays that make heavy use of callbacks. They are map and reduce. Map takes an array and applies any operation of your choosing to every element in the array and then returns it. So you could use map with a callback to square every element of an array. And the callback would just be basically function open parens x close parens squarely return x multiplied by x semicolon close parens sorry close squarely close okay. parens right and then you could use the map function to double everything by doing the same thing but saying plus instead of star or to divide by two or whatever so the map function will perform one callback on everything in an array and return you a new array 
And the reduce okay. function will take a callback and apply it to every element in the array and stick the accumulate the answer in an accumulator. So you could use reduce to add together everything in an array into one final answer. Yeah. Or multiply it all together. Or divide it all together. Or anything you want with it all together. But again, they work by using a callback. So they don't care what you do to every element in the array. They're going to do something of your choosing to every element in the array. That's the power of callbacks. The something of your choosing can be different every time. Hmm. Okay. So that, is it is it not smelly that you've got extra arrays laying around? When they take it depends. Right? I don't have such? to. I don't have to make an extra array if I don't want to. I've chosen in this case to make extras because I didn't want to break my original. That's okay. My choice. I could yeah. have chosen to keep the original. I could have chosen not to duplicate it. I just sort of assumed that for this example, it would be better if I wasn't constantly rejiggering the same original array because then you'd have to keep yeah. telling you to hit refresh on the page. Oh, okay. Okay, gotcha. I mean, depending on the real world scenario, maybe I don't want to duplicate. Right? It was my choice in this case to duplicate. Yeah. Okay. So that's the first type of place where callbacks are great for making code more generic and the second is the one we've met a million times before without really dwelling on it and that's event handlers so in the case of a callback or in the case of making code more generic it's a case of tell me what to do and i'll do that thing over and over again in some sort of way in the case of event handlers it's tell me what to do and i'll do it as and when something happens but the thing that's in common is tell me what to do Right. So a click handler. When something happens, sure sounds like, hey, I'll call you back. It does, doesn't it? Which is probably (laughs) where the name comes from more so. The the, the name fits better with events than it does anywhere else. Okay. So the document ready event handler is the dollar function being passed an anonymous function as its one and only argument. In other words, the anonymous (laughs) function is a callback. So every document ready handler we've ever written. The anonymous function hmm. is a callback. The anonymous Click. function is being passed as the only argument to the dollar function. Oh, that's right, because dollar is a function. Dollar is a function. <laughs> dollar open. Ah, functions. that's where the tricky bit was. Okay. So that's a huh. callback. All the right. click handler. So in this case, dollar dollar octothorpe ajax button dot click. Oh, look, it's a function taking an argument of an anonymous function. It's a callback. So the anonymous function in that case was the click function. No, no, it's what the click takes, click oh. expects a callback, right? So click, open parens, and then we have our anonymous function. There's the callback. Wait, but you've got a dollar before that. So the dollar is, is a function and it's okay. taking click. Right, dollar click is a function. Is a function but, too, right? Okay, dollar is a function. No, it's but an what event. Is the, dollar is a function, but what's the argument being passed to dollar? It's a string. Not a function, a string. So that's not a callback. So the thing before the dot, where the click is not being passed to the dollar function? The click is not being passed to, no. Ajax button is passed to dollar. Dollar returns. Whatever it is in the page has that ID. And then click is being called on whatever has the ID. So click is a function being called on something that dollar has gone and fetched for us. Hmm. Okay. So the dollar function returns whatever on the page has that ID, 
And then whatever that is, its click function is called. And that click function takes as an argument a function. So right. the function okay. that takes as an argument a function, yeah, callback. Right. And that anonymous function that we're putting on click, or that you've done on click, that is the callback. callback. Yeah. In other words, hmm. whenever someone clicks, do this. Okay. So I've been callbacking all over the place. You have been, yeah. So now let's let's revisit our friend dollar.ajax in callbacky way. We're, we're not we're not doing the new stuff yet. Mm-hmm. So we're still in PBS seventy seven A HTML. We're making good use of that file. So we've one last mm-hmm. example in there. So let's bring ourselves back around to dollar.ajax. So this function expects all of its arguments to be passed as one single giant big object with a bunch of name value pairs. This is the only way in JavaScript that you can give sort of nice name value pairs as an argument. So it, it's it's a very common model where instead of, I mean, could you imagine if you had to give 50 arguments and remember the order? It would never work. So instead we have one argument that is an object and there, therefore everything has a name. Is that, is that vaguely sensible? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So we've seen last time a bunch of these name value pairs in action, like URL, method. So URL expects a string, method expects a string, and cache expects a Boolean, true or false. But three of them expected functions as their values, success, error, and complete. So they're callbacks because they expect the value of that key to be a function. Right, right. And Wait, document- success and error aren't, aren't callbacks. The functions that are in the yes. success and error are the callbacks. Exactly. So there is a callback that we will be calling success because it's the value for success. And there is a callback. Right. That, yeah. Right. And the only way we know that success needs to be passed a function, needs to be a function, is because the documentation tells us that we can't tell by looking at it. We can only tell by going to docs.jquery.com and reading what $AJAX wants, and then it says, well, error should be a function. Success should be a function. It's like, oh, okay, then. Thank you, Mr. Docs. So the way I like to think about documentation is as a contract. So I didn't write jQuery, but I'm making use of jQuery. So I'm depending on some sort of agreement between me and the jQuery people so that I can actually get some use out of their code. And that that contract is the documentation. So the documentation says, thou must giveth me these arguments, and in return, I shall do this. So that's like a contract, right? You give me this, and I'll give you that. Right, right. That's all documentation is. You're going to give me a function, I'll run it when the call succeeds. You give me this other function, you call it error, I'll run it when things go horribly wrong. You give me this third function called complete, and I'll run it, whether it goes right or wrong, I'll run it anyway. Right, and that's a contract we have with $.ajax. So this is where I got uh, I got a little bit stuck when you and I were talking and you suggested I look at the documentation. And when I looked, it didn't say anything about callbacks. Well, of course it doesn't. It's because it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to tell me that because it's telling me I expect success to take a function. Yes. Which told you that it was a callback, but I didn't have the translation to what that meant. And I kept looking for the word callback and it wasn't in there. But yeah, the answer callback was, is just jargon. Yeah. Callback is shorthand jargon for a function that takes a function. And the reason you tend to use it is because otherwise you say the word function and which do you mean? The one on the outside or the one on the inside? Right. The one on the inside is the callback. I got it. And that way you can disambiguate more easily. 
Mm-hmm. So it tends to result in easier to, to parse sentences by calling the second one a callback so that the okay. function is the one on the outside and the callback is the one on the inside because otherwise it's the function and the other function. And at that point, my head goes poof. Right. So with all that said, you will find in PBS 77A a call to $.ajax inside a click handler for a button that says make Ajax call. I got very imaginative with this button. Um, I've also... In preparation for our fun with Ajax, I made a little web service that's sitting on bartbushots.ie at bartbushots.ie forward slash utils forward slash faker ws for web service. <laughs> and it has a whole bunch of functionality welded into it. But one of the things it can do is generate random numbers between two given values. So in this case, it's number between forward slash one forward slash text question mark arg one equals one and arg two equals 100. That will give us oh. one number between 1 and 100 in plain text format. So that's the URL our Ajax call is going to go get. Okay. So let's look at the code. $.ajax, and then we start our object. So the first name value pair on our object is URL, and it, it's that big, it's most of what I read out, except for the question mark bit, because rather than writing that out the hard way, I'm just using the data property down on line 5 instead, because that's easier to read. Ah, Okay. Right. Can I presume, given our recent detailed discussion on the art of the HTTP protocol, you can recognize that line six and seven is equivalent to question mark arg one equals one ampersand arg two equals 100. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. OK, so I don't have to dwell on that. Uh, and it just makes my code nicer to read, right, because I can change my mind on the numbers without having to alter the URL. So that's why the mm-hmm. data property of $.ajax is so pleasing to use. So we say method get cache false because you don't really want to cache a random number because a cached random number has this distinct property of (laughs) non-randomness. Being exactly what it was last time. Data type text. In other words, I am telling jQuery, you are going to be handed a piece of text from the server. Don't mess with it. Just give it to me as text too. I want the text. We'll see later that you don't have to say don't mess with it. It can do a little bit of help for you. For success, I'm just giving it, not an anonymous function, I'm giving it a named function, say something. I'm saying, when you get success, run name something. For error, I'm giving it an anonymous function. Say something, Ajax call failed, cry. (laughs) For complete, I'm giving an anonymous function, say something, the Ajax call completed. So you could copy and paste that in or you could just click the button on the page. It's probably best to just click the button on the page and you should get a toast with a random number. Mine was 70. Don't know what yours was. Followed by the Ajax call completed. Oh, I only got 45. I beat you. I don't know how that works. <laughs> <laughs> so there we have three callbacks in action. One of which is using a named function two of which are using anonymous functions. But in all cases, the value of success is a function, the value of error is a function, and the value of complete is a function. Yep. And, you know, way back towards the beginning of this episode, I said that I would never be able to remember this, and I absolutely can remember it now. Because you did enough examples that it's completely, that is, I know you spent a lot of time writing these to make them clear. You nailed it. This Yay. this definitely sticks. Excellent. Well, now that we've done that, we can get on to the easy bit of the episode, which is the challenge solution. 
And then a little <laughs> a little brief visit into Kolbakel. Okay. So the challenge last time was to take whatever you had before, either my solution to the previous challenge, which was to print our little nice little contact cards, or your solution. Uh, you did it with your solution. Great. Uh, I obviously did it with my own. Um, and to, instead of hard coding, or instead of embedding, is the right word, not hard coding, embedding the template into the HTML document, I wanted you to take that same template and put it into a separate file. I think I told you what to name it. I think I told you to name it contacts.tpl.txt. Right. And then to use Ajax to go fetch it. Yes. And for extra credit then, I said, and can you also do the same with, um, can you also do the same with the JSON data that's also embedded directly into the file? So I'm going to start by not doing the extra credit. I'm going to start by just answering the actual question in the homework. Mm -hmm. So in the original homework, I fetched the template with a little one-liner that said const contact TPL becomes equal to the dollar function with the ID of the script tag into which the code was embedded .html. Can't do that anymore. That has to be replaced. So delete that line. Goodbye. So now we need to um, actually get our... We need to fetch it over Ajax. But of course, we also need to take the code for rendering the template and move it so that it doesn't execute until this Ajax query actually got its answer from the server. So we need to make sure that when we're done writing our Ajax call, our code for rendering the template is moved into the success callback or event handler, whatever you'd like to refer to it as. Both pieces of jargon are perfectly valid. Right. Because we can't render our template until we got it. Right. Causality and all that. So at the end of the day, the actual sample solution is just these 19 lines of code, really. So we say, you know, call our Ajax function. The URL is just, you. I mean, I put in dot slash to make it very obvious. I meant local, you know, in this directory, but the dot slash is optional. If I'd left that off, it would mean the same thing. I just prefer to be okay. a bit more explicit. Uh-huh. Method get data type text because the template is a string of text. My error is an anonymous function that simply appends a div into the place where the nice little address cards should go, makes it a call 12 with a class of text-danger, so it goes red, and then it says, Ajax error! Hopefully that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Success is also an anonymous function. I remember that success will be passed as its first argument when it's executed, the value returned from the server. So I am naming it contact TPL. So I'm saying success, mm-hmm. colon, function, contact TPL. So then we say for person of people, cardholder that append, mustache.render, contact TPL, person, partials. In other words, my template, my view, and my partials. That's it. Yep. So... I. Didn't, I, I will confess to the audience that I didn't get the part where this, uh, basically that the uh, mustache rendering needed to go inside success. So I felt kind of like, well, that's kind of the whole point. So that's why I kept going, because when I didn't get that, I, I got to get more. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, the, because Ajax is asynchronous, that's the important part. Right. Mm-hmm. So imagine you know, the code snippet ends at line 19. But if I were to put something onto line 20, it would happen immediately. 
but the success right. handler wouldn't happen until the server got round to answering. And that's right. that's the key point because success is you can think of success as an event handler. It handles the server has happily done its thing. So this is a perfectly working solution for full marks in this assignment. And for extra credit, I just asked you to do the you know, to do the same thing with the data. And you might think, well, you're giving me extra credit for doing the same thing twice. You're being very generous, Bart. But I'm not. <laughs> no, you're being completely evil in all ways. I am, because there's an interdependency between these two Ajax calls you're going to need. Because to render the template, you need both of them to have completed. They're not independent events. They depend on each other. And that dependence is the seed that sprouts into callback hell. As long as an Ajax query doesn't depend on another Ajax query, callbacks are fine. I mean, you just put the stuff in your success handler and you're done. It's easy. But once you have two Ajax requests that depend on each other, you're into sort of callback purgatory. But in the real world, it may not be limited to two or three. Maybe you need to go and fetch five different things from five different databases, collate them into one view and then render that view. Maybe the emails are stored in one place and something else is stored somewhere else and something else is stored somewhere else. So you could have six interdependent Ajax calls very easily. And I only asked you to do two and already that's unpleasant. But So even the little taste I'm giving you of callback hell is only a teeny tiny taste of true callback hell. Just just to put that into context. Just enough to give you the uh, the appetite for a better way. Yeah, because there is a better way. So there are actually two ways of dealing with this callback hell I've created for you. So the easiest to wrap your brain around and the easiest to write your code in is to do them in series. So what you do is you put the the second Ajax call inside the success handler for the first Ajax call. So the second one won't start until the first one finishes. And then your rendering code goes into the success one inside that. Right. So you end that up with... That is the way I did it the second time I did it. It is, and I'm delighted you did, because I was hoping that's what people would do. So what you okay. end up with is a nested structure that I've actually laid out into terms of nested numbered lists in the show notes. Oh, okay. <laughs> right. So what the code now does is it initializes some helper variables, it makes an Ajax call to fetch the JSON data, and inside that success handler, we build the view objects because we just got the data, then we make an Ajax call to fetch the template, and inside that success handler, we finally render the template. So we're nesting dogs. I did the exact opposite. It's irrelevant, right? You need both of them to exist. Okay, good. I was going to say, it worked. Can I ask you one quick question here? I might be getting too much in the weeds, but it seems like these uh, these name value pairs inside this uh, Ajax call mm-hmm. inside this object uh, are not all mandatory because there's a whole bunch you can put in there. So yes. I, I, when I did the JSON object, I did get JSON. I'm sorry, wrong file. Uh, when I did the the JSON file. Um, I, I told it text uh, data type equals j or colon JSON. You didn't, but I never, I never said data t- uh, data type uh, colon text for my text default. file. Is Actually, it no, the okay, default? I, sorry, uh, no, let me correct myself. That the actual default is auto detect, 
An auto detect ah. will take as one of its cues the mime type of the file it received. And the mime type of something ending in .txt is text. Which is why I made okay. you name the template .txt. So it wasn't entirely luck, but had I named it RTF or something, it wouldn't have worked. Well, Had you named it HTML, too, jQuery would have tried to be clever. Okay. And would have given you a jQuery object instead of a string. And then you would have been trying to pass a jQuery object as your template. And it would have, and Mustache would have gone, what are you talking about? I want a string. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I very carefully made sure you named it .txt so that you could concentrate on the Ajax and not, not get bitten by that little yeah. jQuery helpfulness being unhelpful. Yeah. Okay. But it's good to know because if I screw that up later and name it myself, I need to know. Yeah. So I will, generally speaking, always put a data type in. because, And the reason is because I spent, I believe it was three hours swearing at my computer one day. Because <laughs> the universe wasn't making sense to me. When I finally stopped swearing and read the manual and realized that the default is auto-detect and not text, as I had assumed. And then I just put data type colon text and everything started working and I realized I'd wasted an afternoon. <laughs> So now but you never it. forgot it. I never forgot it. Damn straight. <laughs> okay, so the other, the, yeah, so in my sample solution, which I didn't copy and paste all of my code into the, um, into the file because it was long, but it, it, you'll see in, in the zip file, you'll see my extra credit one dash series. You'll see that I do indeed do data type colon JSON. Okay. And in the show notes, I explain what I've just said to you. So I won't say it again. Okay, so if we named the file.js like you told us to, did, would it have auto-detected that as well? Uh, it would depend on your web server's configuration. Auto-detecting JSON is a bit more complicated. So I will always put the data type in. Yeah, I, I would just say that's just better. Uh, because if your web server is configured so that a file ends in .json, that it should send the MIME type application slash JSON, then it probably will work. But I, I just don't like leaving these things to chance. And one thing that confused me and you helped me with um, early on doing the non-extra credit was that we didn't need to parse the JSON anymore. And I forget why you told me we got to get rid of that. Because we said data type colon JSON. Yeah, but it doesn't. It needs to be a string to go into to do its job, doesn't it? Okay, so... When we were pulling it out of the script tag, it was a string, and then we had to convert it. When we say data type colon JSON, we're telling jQuery's $.ajax function to do the conversion for us. The conversion's still oh, happening. that actually converts it when you yeah. say data type colon JSON? Yes. What it does is it does the JSON.parse for you. Oh. Huh. It's a convenience. That's all it is. Very convenient convenience. Wow. Um, huh. Okay. That, that, wow. I'm glad I asked again because I, I was just being like helpful to everybody else here, but I definitely did not catch that. Okay. Yeah. So, what you're doing with data type colon JSON is you're saying to jQuery's $AJAX function, I want you to take whatever you were handed by the server and run it through JSON.parse and then give me the answer. It okay. saves you a line of code. It's easier. Okay. So, this works, right? So mm -hmm. nesting your AJAX queries one inside the other works. If you had six of them, it would be quite messy because you'd be 
to be a lot of tab characters before you got to your final mustache.render call. You'd be tabbed in a long way with, with your six callbacks deep. And there's also an inherent inefficiency here because web browsers are perfectly capable of fetching two files at the same time. If you go onto Flickr, it's not that every photo loads one by one, right? You see them coming in in parallel with each other, two or three at a time. So the browser is perfectly happy to go off and make multiple asynchronous requests at the same time, which means it's perfectly capable of doing both of those AJAX calls simultaneously. Right. We could rewrite our solution so it executes in parallel. No, that's heresy. Uh, no, that's that. This is where we get out of callback purgatory and into true callback hell, because <laughs> you're an evil, evil man. Well, if you do it in parallel, you have the advantage of speed, and it will scale right. way better. Right? This will right. scale to six callbacks, no problem. Okay. But we no longer know which success handler is going to be the one where all the information exists. One of them will be last. And whoever's last yeah. should do the rendering. But we don't know who that's going to be. And when you hit oh. refresh, it could be the other guy. And the next time, it could be the other guy. And the next time, it could be the Ugh. other guy. Right? Ugh. So we have lost determinism in our quest for efficiency. And Thanks, that, Bart. Yeah, that's not impossible to deal with because my sample solution deals with it successfully. But it's an extra piece of complexity you have to hold in your brain. Now, the solution is actually not that difficult. So to do this, what you do is you write a separate function to do the final render. And at the start of that function, you put if statements. And if you're missing even one piece of data you need, just return. Don't do anything and return. And you call this function as the last line of every success handler. So in this case, we only have oh. two. But you just stick this one function call in the bottom of all your hypothetical six or 10 or 20 success handlers. And whoever comes in last, the if statements will all pass and it'll finally do the render. Okay, so in if you had uh, these six different uh, Ajax calls, you would... It, when it got done with the first one, it's going to say, hey, any, everybody else done? Nope. Okay, I'm I'm sitting back. Yeah. So in is the it, case okay. here, render contact cards is my function. So it says the first line in render contact function is make sure the view objects are ready. It just says if people.length is less than one, return. In other words, if the data if the data hasn't arrived yet, do nothing. Right? If okay. people.length less than one, return. Okay. Well, if I the like template this. is of length less than one. In other words, if the template is an empty string, return, do nothing. Okay. So when the first Ajax query arrives and the second one hasn't, it doesn't matter which one it is, one of these two if statements will fail. And then when the second Ajax query completes, both if statements will pass and then we get to line nine where we finally, that's a copy paste of our render function. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's all you have to do. You basically, every success handler calls your function to try do what you want to do and you just have gates and until all your gates are passed until all your preconditions are met do nothing okay this is probably a lot easier in terms of trying to match your squirrely and round brackets it is because now when you look at right so i've done exact the same thing as before with the nested or ordered lists but this is looking a lot more sane isn't it yeah Initialize some helper variables, make the first call. Inside the second call, 
So inside that call success handler, build my view object and try my function. Mm -hmm. Then start another Ajax call and inside the success handler, save my template and try render my contacts. And one of those two try renders will succeed. But only one, but that's fine. Yeah. Huh. So this is your brief visit into Callback Hell. <laughs> and I've just given you literally the tip of the iceberg here of Callback Hell. So before I tease you about next week, or next sorry, not next week, next time, I'm going to give you a challenge. Because it occurs to me that since I went to all this bother of writing this web service for sending out random numbers and stuff, I should make you do something with it. <laughs> okay. I'd like you to write a game. A number guessing oh. game. The UI and the UX, in other words, the user interface and the user ex- experience are entirely up to you. Design it any which way you like. However, your game should use the URL in the show notes as the source of its random number. It should allow the user to guess as often as is needed. And after every guess, it should tell the user whether they're too high or too low. Hmm. And then when they finally get it right, you should tell them how many times it took them. And you can mock them if you like. <laughs> I'll leave that to you. Okay. That's the UX. Um, so you will have, when you're done, a little game that uses Ajax to go fetch the random number. And you should be oh, able to reset the game. too wide open, Bart. It doesn't start with, here's a template. <laughs> nope. Nope, nope, nope. At this stage, you know Bootstrap, you know jQuery. You know, I don't want to tell you what your game should look like. So you need to decide what form elements you want. Wow. Okay. Now, by the way, I think we needed to say it at the beginning of this episode, or if in any case, we should say it now, the problem with using um, the jQuery that Bootstrap pulls in if you use their CDN. Yes. Thank you, Alison. Well, let's do it now. Yeah. So I had to edit the show notes midweek. Or mid two weeks. Last week. Last week's. Yeah. Yeah, last week's after the fact. Uh, because by the... F- so there's two versions of jQuery. There's the full bells, whistles, chingly bits, everything you can imagine version. And there's a slim down version that only contains the essentials. And Bootstrap only needs the essentials. So if you start your page by going to Bootstrap's website and copying and pasting their quick start guide, you will notice that the URL for jQuery contains the four letters S-L-I-M, slim. You're getting the stripped down, only the bare essentials version of jQuery. And one of those optional bells and or whistles is $.ajax. <laughs> kind of an essential function. Kind of essential. Kind of going to need it. So the original zip file from last time that had your challenge starting point, or rather had my challenge solution as your challenge starting point, if you wanted, would never have worked because when you tried to use $.ajax, you would have got $.ajax is not a function. And when you console.logged $.ajax, you would have gotten the very helpful undefined. At which point my head almost exploded and it took me about five minutes of going, why does the universe not make sense? Until I realized that, oh, hang on a second. I know there's two versions of jQuery. Which one do I have? Oh, sugar. And then I went to code.jQuery.com, clicked on the one for not slim, 
I still went with Min, which I can explain if you like, but let's not, let's leave that for about 10 seconds. And then I copied and pasted that version of jQuery into my file, and then I re-uploaded the zip file and put in a note into the last episode explaining what I had done and why. Yeah, yeah. So um, let me ask you a question. How do you know where these CDNs are? Like the only reason I knew where to go get this was because you told me the exact URL in the in your um, well, okay, your so show notes. You would normally so you, let's say you're, you've decided I want to use jQuery. You would start mm-hmm. on jQuery's website and click their quick start, and in there they would tell you that you can either download the code or you can use a CDN, and then they link you to their CDN. And actually, they link you to lots of CDNs. And it doesn't really matter which one you pick, to be honest, but I like to use theirs because, well, they're likely not to have messed up their own. Okay. So there's, um, yeah, I was used to saying, hey, I'm just going, I want to do Bootstrap, so I'm going to do Bootstrap, I'm going to go get all that jQuery stuff for free with it. Yeah, and that's true as long (laughs) as you stay within the confines of jQuery's non-fancy features, which... Do you know what this tells us? So far, our experience up. of jQuery has been entirely non-fancy. Oh, I would. I was looking at it the other way around. Look at us go, girl. Well, of course, the other way to look at it is even basic jQuery is spectacularly powerful. Right? No, I was saying, look at us go, girl. We're growing up. We're getting out of the the regular stuff. We're into fancy pants land. Oh, that's the third way of looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, And I'm actually using that from Dorothy. When I got the extra credit to work, uh, and we haven't talked about how I did it. We're going to talk about that later. But uh, when I got it to work, I wrote it to Dorothy in Telegram, and I was writing, I did it. I'm serious. I did it all by myself. And she wrote, not a single hint from me, nor from Bart. Our little girl is all grown up. Sigh. <laughs> I was so happy when I saw that text transcript posted into the Slack. It was, it was extremely nice. <laughs> At podfeed.com slash slack, by the way. If you guys aren't in there, you should go in. There's a PBS uh, channel in there. Lots of fun. Yeah, and it is because it's an actually private social media. It is it is the only social media I don't dread going into. It is <laughs> our community, and it's not full of loudmouth bleepholes. And we're only talking about the stuff that we talk about on the show, right? In PBS, we're talking about programming. we got a security bit section where we talk about security stuff. We have one called Delete Me where you can just put weird stuff you think is funny. <laughs> that does happen. And general, but yeah, but it, they're, they're all, as you would say, our people, right? It's our yeah, community. It's- so even in the random stuff, it's like, you know, does a train go, how many chews before the choo-choo or whatever? I can't remember. <laughs> no, how many chuggers yeah. before the chew, isn't it? Or- yeah, yeah, that was one of my contributions, but there have been a lot of funny stuff in there. But it's all nerd humor, right? Exactly. There are people. So there is none of that. Like, if you're on Twitter or Facebook, you have these random people trying to make you angry about things. There's none of that in our community, which is why I love going there. It's just this little breath of fresh air, and that's the value of private spaces like Slack. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so we have now, so I've set you a little challenge. And we have now arrived at the point where I've explained why callbacks are not the answer. They're the answer for the simplistic case, but the real world doesn't confine itself to simplistic for very long. And this is obviously a problem that lots of people have bumped into over the years, so much so that they nicknamed it callback hell. Right? That, didn't, that name didn't come into being because everyone was happy. That name came into being because people were proper cranky. So initially... Lots of people independently tried to solve that problem. Hmm. And the whole 
a whole bunch of different solutions came out and they eventually coalesced into a concept that became known as a promise. And lots of people were implementing promises in their own way. And so what you ended up with was a a large plethora of possible third-party libraries to use. And I think the most common one was one called Bluebird. And what's kind of happened is that in 2017, JavaScript formalized the concept by picking one syntax and making it the official one. And that happens to be the syntax used by Bluebird. So what is now official JavaScript promises is basically Bluebird promises. Oh, okay. But the third-party libraries haven't gone away. What's happened instead is that they've all adopted the same syntax. So that means that although everything isn't actually pure JavaScript promises, they all behave as if they are. So if you learn how to use JavaScript's official promises, you can use all of these unofficial ones too because they've all standardized on the same syntax. And the key function is dot then... So we have what you you literally scoffed at this terminology, but this is the jargon you now need to know. The name for anything that behaves like a JavaScript promise is a venable. <laughs> and it actually does end up making sense. But yeah, I was, Bart was telling me I had to read a manual again, and he knows how I love that. And so I went over to read this thing. I'm like, okay, good. Now they're making up whole words. This is awesome. And you actually you used the word venable. And I chuckled to myself and went, yeah, that's where you're going next week. <laughs> well, I accidentally went there. You did, actually. You, yeah, because you're getting ahead of the class. You already know what a venable is because you've been using them. And what yep. I will say is this JS, sorry, this JQ, there's typo number two for me to fix. The JQ XHR object is a venable. So it does like quadruple service. It's a, it's already representing the HTTP request, the HTTP response, and it's a thenable. So it is oh, actually really? a promise. Yeah, I haven't figured out what that thing is at all. I have no idea. It's everything. <laughs> it's it's literally yeah. everything. Thanks, Bart. But that's great because you just it's like quantum mechanics, right? If you if you treat some light as a particle, you get to do Newtonian physics and it just works. And if you treat the same light as a wave, you get to do interference and stuff and it works. You take a JQXHR object and treat it like a promise, it'll just work. You take a JQXHR object and treat it like a traditional JavaScript HTTP request, it'll behave that way for you. So think of quantum physics. It will become whatever you try to make it be. Ron, Ron, Bart, you're the only person I know who would try to simplify something by saying, don't worry, it's just like quantum physics. That's easy. The worst worst class, no, second worst class I took in school was quantum physics. So I didn't do well in quantum, I have to say. (laughs) But anyway. Anyway. So that's where we're headed to next time. So we're going to get out of call by Kel by going into promises. And that is going to allow us to do these parallel Ajax queries in a really obvious way where the code is easy to read and easy to maintain. So we can get to have all the joys of parallelism without the weirdness. And that's very valuable. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 
Well, this was an interesting way to to do this. You did, you had the lesson, then the homework in the middle, and then the challenge, and then the uh, the theme for next week. Well, you see, the homework morphed seamlessly into the new stuff for this week. Yeah, yeah. There's no clear line there, right? Because I I intentionally wrote the homework so that we could do that because I I needed a practical example to explain call by Cal. So the homework became the example, became the problem to be solved, which is what we're going to do next time. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to it. If it were for the fact that I've no idea how to write a game, um, I would I would want the next class to be next week. But I think this will uh, keep me busy for the next couple of weeks. Well, you, you and cannot... I do have to say again, I'm not getting anything done because of playing <laughs> by stealth. I'm like I, on Thursday morning, I finished a, an article for uh, the Nocilicast, and I uh, and I thought, all right, cool. That's my third article this week. And I looked, and it was my first. Oopsie daisies. <laughs> oh. So I've had to put it aside and set it. No, you're not allowed to play. Well, conveniently, the weeks you have to do homework are also the weeks me and you get to do security bits. That does help. That does help. So the pressure's off because I know I've got content. Yeah, and we went quite long on yesterday's security bits because it was fun. Yep, it was fun. It was interesting. All right. But that people are taking this class. They don't know. This could be in in 2032. Somebody's listening to this. In which case, don't go listen to security bits because it's so not relevant anymore. (laughs) Windows 10. (laughs) It's it's all solved, Bart. There's no passwords. It's going to be great. (laughs) Oh, we can hope. Anyway, (laughs) we'll talk to you before passwords go extinct. (laughs) Until then, happy computing. If you learn as much from Bart each week as I do, I'd like you to go over to lets-talk.ie and press one of the buttons over there to help support him. He does 98% of the work here. I'm just the stooge that listens to him and asks the dumb questions. If you go over to lets-talk.ie, you can support him on Patreon, you can donate via PayPal, or you can use one of his referral links. I really hope you'll go over and help him out. In the meantime, you can contact me at podfeet.com. Or check out all of the shows we do over there over at podfeed.com. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.